Welcome to Great Women in Fraud with Kelly Paxton, Certified Fraud Examiner, Private Investigator, and Pink Collar Crime Expert. This is the podcast where thought leaders in fraud share their stories, wisdom, resources, and tips. For 25 years, I have worked in fraud and investigations in both the government and private sector. I love what I do, and I want to share with others who are also either working in fraud or interested in fraud as a career. This is where you will learn how to investigate but not commit fraud. Welcome to another episode of Great Women in Fraud. Today's episode is a little different. You're not going to hear from a fraud subject matter expert. You're actually going to hear from the daughter of a victim who was embezzled to the tune of almost $1 million. You're going to hear about the family dynamics, how it happened, how she dealt with the after effects of the fraud. We're not often get to hear from victims of fraud because many of them don't want to tell their stories. But we are lucky enough today to have Lena with us. So stay tuned. And I think you're going to get a lot of great information out of this episode. Lena, who is a psychotherapist whose family was deeply, deeply affected by elder financial abuse. And we're going to talk about how it happened, how Lena dealt with it, and kind of the um, repercussions long term from this terrible, terrible crime. Because one thing that you're going to learn about elder financial abuse is that Unlike a business that gets embezzled, if an older person gets embezzled, they don't have time to make up those funds. So it's a double whammy in that way. So let's welcome Lena. Lena, thank you so much for coming on Great Women in Fraud to talk about you and your family's story. Thank you so much, Kelly, for giving me this opportunity. I think it's so incredibly important that people understand it can happen to anyone. Like I said, you're a psychotherapist. You are obviously very, very bright. And again, that doesn't mean anything when it comes to embezzlement. That's right. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Our family had hired a caretaker initially to take care of my father. And during that time, she became a part of our family, someone we valued very much, someone we included in all family events, and came to really love. And upon the passing of my father, we segued into the care of my mother by her. And that lasted until the passing of my mother in 2012. So this woman, and this, again, another, it's like a triple whammy, almost, because you said she was part of your family. She was there every single day and she was, she took good physical care of your parents. She definitely took good physical care of my father. When it came to my mother towards the end, the care she was receiving was questionable because my mother's um, dementia and state of confusion was increasing and consequently there was a lot less contact available with my mother who we were told was either sleeping or didn't want to come on the phone or one of something like that so she was less accessible to us so in answer to your question I don't know about the care at the towards the end of my mother's life. Yeah. And that's, you know, the ones, um, and we'll talk more specifically about the case, but a lot of times the caregivers will create 
a barrier between the family members because they know that you're watching because that's your duty to watch. And if they make it difficult and you're busy, you have a full-time psychotherapy practice, you have your own life and you think you're leaving your parents with someone, you know, that you're paying well and should take care of them. Correct. So a little bit more about the story is that um, the caregiver had, I'm going to call it the gambling pink flag, because it turns out I've Googled the story and, you know, looked into it. She was quite a prolific gambler. And um, that is sort of one of my lines in the sand. Like I wouldn't hire someone that I knew that was hanging out at a casino because casinos are built on customer losses, not customer winnings. And the news story does show that she gambled quite prolifically. They knew her well there. Um, were you, either of your parents gamblers? No, no. My mother liked to play bingo a lot. <laughs> That's about <laughs> the extent of it. And the few times that they did travel way back when, when they were younger, they might go to um, New Jersey and, and, and gamble for a couple of days. But we came from a very frugal family. So whatever they gambled, they went with a certain amount and they stopped at that point. So no, it was not part of their lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't think she was probably taking your parents to the casino with her. Do you think? Actually, she was taking my mom on a weekly basis to play bingo, but that wasn't where she was a high roller. That was a, <laughs> that was a casino separate from the one where she had the high roller status. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now you said um, to me earlier, because we do, you know, pre-podcast calls that uh, your father was very paranoid, but not vigilant. And what do you mean by that? My father had always, ha was always extra concerned about getting ripped off, having his money taken, protecting his assets. Um, so he, he was not very trusting. However, what happened was he was trusting of the wrong person and that was his caretaker. So rather than um, enlighten the family as to all of the various accounts of which there were many and the passwords, etc., he had shown her where all of the papers were and the passwords were. So that being said, paranoid, but not vigilant, maybe is not necessarily correct. Maybe he was paranoid, but not paranoid of the person he ought to have been. Hard to really discern, but that's that's how I'm trying to tease out the difference between the two of them. Well, you know, I mean, my, my parents have passed in the last couple of years, and I think as you <clears throat> get older um, and you're the psychotherapist, you're kind of... Uh, you're a little secretive because maybe you don't think you want your kids to know what money you have because then your kids are going to say, Hey, why let's, you know, uh, let's why not share the wealth now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So, um, I, I, I totally get that. Um, we also had a lot of talking about the process when you actually found out and kind of, can you walk us through that process? The initial finding out, I believe, was by a, a sibling and then it kind of unraveled. Yes. My oldest sister had shared um, an account at a bank that my parents also had had an account and it had come to her attention. A statement of my parents had come to her attention 
I don't, I'm, whether it was erroneously or not, I'm not sure, but that statement indicated that in a, in a certain month, over $9,900 was being withdrawn on a close to daily basis from my parents slash mother's existing account. And that was when it was first discovered and brought to my attention. And given that I was the only family member in town, I then had to take action to rectify the situation. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm no banker, but um, there are reporting requirements for over $10,000. So clearly, the caregiver knew that $9,900. But again, this is a pattern Personally, the bank should have caught it. And do you want to talk at all about the bank's responsibility and if anything came of that? Um, To say the bank should have caught it is an understatement. Um, They were driving through the drive-thru on on an almost daily basis. Or once in a while, my mother was being wheeled into the bank in a confused state. And it remains astounding to me um, as an understatement that... Nobody noticed that that was suspicious, which leads me to believe maybe somebody in the bank was paid off. Part of it, it's hard to really tease out what went down, but what didn't go down is protecting my mother um, as an institution of a big bank should be doing. And unfortunately, nothing came of it because when we considered lawsuits Against the bank, we were told by various attorneys that it would cost a significant amount of money and that the banks have a, a solid and multifold um, staff that would be able to represent the bank and go against us and that it would be, there would be no guarantee that we would win even though this injustice took place. Yeah, again, now we're like on the fourth whammy because you would think that a bank, but it's like you, it's like David taking on Goliath and they've got tons of attorneys and you're going to have to pay money out of pocket, which is no longer there because it's been stolen. Uh, Yeah, we won't mention the bank, but um, I'm sure you will never bank there ever, ever again. And I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I hope I hope most of you don't. And it's unfortunate I can't name them. But yes, it's a big bank. Let me just leave it at that. Yeah, and that is unfortunate. And then you also um, talked about you had to be deposed. And how did how did that deposition go? It was horrific. It was horrific. It was an experience of feeling victimized. It was hours of being in interrogated, um, contradicted, my words twisted, etc., with a very aggressive, and as far as I'm concerned, very unprofessional lawyer. Yeah. And so you have the bank that has failed you, and then you get actually deposed, and um, you feel victimized all over again. This has, this has changed your life, obviously, like financially, you were probably (laughs) expecting some bit of money and you didn't, but you know, you've got obviously a very good career, but it's still, it changes a person's life. Um, We have the monetary experience of not getting an inheritance, but 
what are some of the, I'm going to say, softer things that happened due to this horrific breach, like personal? When you say softer, can you tell me what that means for you? Your personality. So you don't have X hundred thousand dollars extra in your bank, but how did it affect you looking at the world and other people around you? I think it brought me a sense of sadness that there are people in the world that will do this to people that are compromised, that are in a situation of dependency, et cetera. So it it saddens me. It saddens me that that happens. Um, It made me a lot less trusting and more cautious financially. Um, in terms of my own money and what that looks like, it was also disillusioning because I had hoped at my age and at this stage in life, I could slow down a little bit, but it gave me the gift of being able to be much more compassionate to both the elderly and to the baby boomers who are taking care of their parents and given the opportunity to dispense some wisdom and some caution. So hopefully, other people won't have to suffer in the way I have. Yeah. Did you feel, due to the case, did you feel unsafe at any time? Your physical safety, did you feel unsafe? I did indeed. I did indeed. I thought there might be some ramifications to being the person in the position of having to report, to make the police report and implement what needed to be done in order to bring this person to the plate to justice. Right. So kind of that looking over your shoulder, has it lessened over time? Not significantly, no. Yeah. And that's really unfortunate. Um, it is because life is can be so wonderful. Who needs to ha- to have to also experience a sense of fear and overcautiousness in this world when there's enough already to be fearful and cautious about. Well, yeah. And say someone gets their car ripped off, you know, it gets stolen or something like that. You know, the police find it or they don't find it. They do, or they don't find the, you know, the thief, but this is a person who has been in your home. And that violation, and and they also know you and your parents probably talked about you. And so (laughs) they know your weaknesses. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) And you said your dad was a bit paranoid, but not vigilant. And um, I I don't know if paranoia is something that we can inherit, but um, maybe you could, I don't know. I'm paranoid, but that's kind of my business. Um, And, and. And I think I am as well at some level. And I think that's more about life experiences. This not this being the last and most crushing of them. So we skipped this part at the beginning. I just realized is now you didn't hire this woman off a Craigslist. You (laughs) went to, or as I call it, crimes list. You actually (laughs) went. (laughs) It's a good one. I like it. You went to an agency. And so by going to an agency, you're paying more. Correct. And you would think that there would be 
an extra added layer of protection. Can you talk about that at all? Well, that was the assumption. And so I want to also share this with the listeners. Um, do not assume that the agency from whom you hire the caretaker has done their due diligence because at the end of the day, this person had some outstanding immigration issues and also had a host of aliases that we knew nothing about. So the question is, how well was she screened? And in, and my advice to fellow listeners is if you're going to hire someone from an agency, do your own separate homework and make sure you Google them and find out as much as you can on your own prior to signing on to this agreement. That's excellent advice. We had um, a caregiver for my father-in-law and she came as a referral and uh, we felt comfortable with it. But at the same time, if it would have gone south, we would kind of not have anyone to go, you know, and uh, take action against. But you did. And it still didn't, you know, again, even though America is so litigious, it's hard to go through the legal system. Would you not agree? Yes, it's 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 hard, it's expensive and it's discouraging. And there's no there's no sense of that the wrongs will be righted. So it's a big risk and it's a lot of time and energy and emotional pain to to invest in trying to right the wrongs. Well, now I always, I always want to hope because I am crazily enough, a very positive person and optimistic person is that out of every embezzlement or, you know, elder financial abuse, there is something that is positive, you know, the lemonade out of lemons. Um, what can you say positive that has happened from this experience for you or for the greater community? That there was some vindication because she was eventually incarcerated for the crime. So I guess that's the silver lining that eventually there was some dues to be paid, but not for me. And so the silver lining, I think, is what I mentioned earlier, that I can now give to others what wasn't given to me with the hopes that their lives won't end up in a similar place that mine did. Well, and you also said that, um, you know, again, I get to see you because we do this on Zoom. And I will tell you that Lena is a very, very um, active, because I know you go to the gym, very, very active. And this is maybe you said changed how you are looking at aging yourself. Yes. Um, it has... What resonates for me is that I never want to be in a position where I'm going to depend on a stranger to take care of me in my final days. Yeah. And and you also say that, you know, you, you are more, I don't want to say empathetic, but you, you're finding ways to help other people through this. And this yeah. is a perfect example, you reaching out to me to tell your story. That is the reason why I did this in the first place. If I could help change one person's life by what I went through, then I, then I did a good deed. And that's important to me. 
Oh, yeah. I was listening to a podcast and I love podcasts. They've changed my life, not only just my own podcast to do it, but um, the guy was saying, who's rather famous, he says, the best, best thing that I get from this is when I get someone who reaches out and says, you made it possible for me to be able to do this. And I, I think you, you, you know, this has worked for you. Um, you said a little bit earlier about uh, your older sister had discovered this, but sometimes I've seen these cases where they can bring a family together, but they can also pull a family apart. Or it just stays at the status quo. Would you want to talk about that at all? Well, I can just say that, you know, maybe in some ways this was a perfect storm because there was some family dissension. And I think that's a breeding ground, possibly for a, a person who's savvy and knowledgeable to use that in their best interests. So at the end of the day, um, it brought us closer in the, in the area of us sharing this feeling of being victims. But in the long run, we're back to the original kind of detachment from, from one another. So I don't know if that answers your question. No. Oh, it, yeah, it does. Because you know what? I've seen it in families where sometimes, you know, the one sibling will say, how did you not see this? The other sibling would say, well, you know, I'm the one who's going over and doing all of this. And how do you expect me? But what you said about the caregiver, and you had said earlier that your dad confided in her a lot. I have seen this personally, where they use that information against the immediate family members. So, you know, a parent can say, you know, my daughter, she, she's always got some money issues or, you know, her husband spends a lot. And then the caregiver is going to go, huh, how can I use that to, you know, further my scheme? I think you're telling them our story. That's, that's the story. It's unfortunate because also, I mean, I've seen this with my own family. When it got towards the end, they're lonely and we do have busy lives. I don't say we're the um, sandwich generation. I say we're the panini generation because we're literally <laughs> baked great. on both sides. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Good, yeah. good phrase. Uh, Coin yeah. that one. Coin that one. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Just as we're going to kind of wrap this up, Another thing you said, and this is the thing I love, is do whatever you can before you open that door. And I think you guys did that. You, you, you didn't hire we off thought, a crime. We slip. thought we did. We thought we did by making an assumption that hiring someone from an agency is being safe. But at the end of the day, I don't see us as having done that. Not thoroughly. But didn't know that we ought to have, you know, it's like, if you don't know you should, then you, how can you do it? <laughs> it's like a catch 22. So I think the door was opened out of love and appreciation and duplicity and trust, trust and consequent duplicity. So I think that, you know, if somebody's going to open a door, don't be so trusting, do your homework. 
And whatever you do as families, put aside your personal differences for the good of your parents and for the protection ultimately of your assets. That's I've done over a thousand background investigations in my career. And when someone gets a background investigation that's quote clean, so there's no marks on it, they throw it in the bottom drawer and think that, okay, well, we got a good one. But what happens is life changes. And, you know, I don't know about the the person who, you know, victimized you, but they might have been a really good, decent person. And they go to the casino and they realize that the casino is their life and it overtakes them. So for the first 35 years of someone's life, they can be good. They can never have stolen a candy bar. And then all of a sudden, so when you do that background check at the beginning, you can't just throw it in a drawer and say, we're good because life changes. And people do as well. Yeah. And I think you know that as, you know, a Mm -hmm. mental health professional more than anyone. Yes. And hopefully my, my goal is to have them change for the better. This was not for the better. That's for sure. (laughs) Was there anything else about the perpetrator that as you look back, you're like, how did she do that? Or how did we not see that? Was there anything that like, you're kind of like, this is just a uh, aha moment. Like, did she ever talk about how she had gone? She loved casinos or she just. No, no, it was a very calculated presentation. Lots of emphasis on family and children. It was, it was. It was the quintessential manipulator. At Towards the end, I started to have some intuitive feelings that I attempted to um, share with the family, my sisters mainly, but um, they were largely negated. And so in hindsight, if I had been a soul, um, solely responsible for my parents, I might have been more proactive or more trusting of myself um, than I ultimately ended up being. So this goes to another thing is now this was a woman who stole from your parents and she had numerous children. Do you think that initially and this goes to my whole pink collar crime stuff. Do you think initially you would be more trusting of a woman with say four children than a man coming in to take care just based on, you know, how we are socialized? No, 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 I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't know. I need to think about that. You know, I don't think the gender would so much affect me or the number of children as much as the integrity of the character, which I would have assumed, again, was screened out by the agency from which we hired the person. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have a test, unfortunately, for integrity in this yeah. world. It's it's 2020 hindsight. So, yes, yeah. yes. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. But now, hopefully, as a result of us doing this, maybe somebody out there will have foresight. Right, right. I um, When I worked at the sheriff's office, this was, you know, a long time ago. We have nanny cams in our culture to watch our young kids, like if they have a nanny. And I would say to the detectives, I'm like, I want to develop a granny cam. And they thought I was. Wow. Like, instead of a nanny cam, we need a granny cam. Oh, my God, cam. that's fabulous 
<laughs> no, seriously, what a great idea. <laughs> well, it, it didn't go anywhere, but well, don't fit, don't drop the ball. Go for it. That's <laughs> fabulous. If if I had, had if we had had that, I would have known that there was no one in the house watching my mother for hours when she was out there at the casino down the block. Yeah. We can use technology for good. I mean, for real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you'd have to be careful where you put the granny cams and everything like that. I guess you wouldn't put it in like a teddy bear. You'd maybe put it in, um, I don't know, a piece of China or something. So I don't know. Let's start with developing it and then we can decide where we can put it. <laughs> yeah. So I, Lena, I just want to thank you so much for being, you know, for first off, for reaching out to me. And then for, we've had a couple of conversations and, um, and I've been through this and I've seen it and your openness. And uh, again, I know there's never the lemonade out of lemons, but you, you have done that. And I think because this happened to you, which it shouldn't have happened to you, you're not going to be negative Nelly. Yeah. And so I invite, you know, you to contact me or if people similar people go through similar things and need someone to talk to, please know that you can feel free to refer them to me and I'd be more than happy to help anyone who needs it out there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been, this is an unusual episode because we don't get victims very often coming through, but there are a lot of similarities in victims, whether it's a garden variety embezzlement or financial elder abuse. And the financial elder abuse cases are so devastating on so many levels. So we appreciate it. Great women in fraud. We, we love these cases, not that they happen, but that we can help people. So thank you. And thank you. I love talking to Lena, her dad being paranoid, but not vigilant. And then the caregiver using the family dynamics to get deeper into her parents' psyche was huge. Um, the bank, terrible. The deposition made her feel just awful, but she did get positivities out of it. And one of the do whatever you can before you open that door, that I, and they did it. They felt that they really did it by hiring the agency and everything. And again, this is a story of a victim who feels that they get victimized all over again, going through the process. So thank you so much to Lena. It's a great episode. If you want an introduction to Lena, please reach out to me and be sure if you like this episode or have a suggestion, leave a review and just reach out. Thank you. This has been another episode of Great Women in Fraud with Kelly Paxton. If you have feedback on today's episode or would like to be a guest or have someone you think we should interview, please tweet us at Great Women in Fraud or email Kelly at GreatWomenInFraud.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again next time for more amazing guest stories and tips. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, it would be great if you left a rating on iTunes. Or please tell a friend about the show. Your time is valuable and I appreciate it. Thank you for listening.